Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zola Africa Amuka na Unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figilele Ngwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. Zimbabwe's president calls on US and Europe to lift sanctions against his country. And Malawi security forces clash with protesters in Blantyre. In economics news, concerns over digitization of the banking sector and in sports news, FIFA reveals why Mohamed Salah's votes were voided. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Reports from Zimbabwe suggest that former President Robert Mugabe will be laid to rest at his home village in Kutama Zvimba later in the day. The Zimbabwean government confirmed that Mugabe will no longer be buried in the Heroes Acre Memorial in the capital Harare as previously announced. The former president died in Singapore on the 6th of September. Our correspondent Ifit Musakiwa says the body was moved last night. The body was moved and last night in the evening, uh, they finally agreed that he is buried there. The government will honor the request for the wishes of the family. So I think it is a family request or it is Mugabe's last wishes. clear that Mugabe had indicated that he wanted to be buried in his rural home. We are getting reports that it is set to Sunday, but there are rumors that he might actually be buried earlier than that. According to the tradition that the family wants to follow, they will just bury him, then announce after his death that he's buried. The brother of Botswana's former president, Ian Khama, has resigned from the Botswana Democratic Party. In a statement, the party announced that its MP, Chikedi Khama, has left the party with immediate effect. Chikedi Khama will join his brother in the newly formed Botswana Patriotic Front. He was the MP for Botswana's Sarawe West Town. The BDP says it will submit a name for a replacement for the parliamentary seat soon. The owner of the Kenyan school where eight children died and 64 others were injured on Monday when their classrooms collapsed will appear in court this morning. Moses Wanana was arrested on Thursday. It's not clear what charges he faces, Sirakimane reports. On Monday, Kenya's Education Cabinet Secretary, Professor George Magoha, seemed to shift blame over the accident on Wainaina, and he said that the tragedy would have been avoided if the building regulations had been followed. He said the owners of the school constructed an additional floor to the single story without seeking approval from the country's construction authorities. The school was closed on Monday to allow police to carry out investigations. Police in South Africa have arrested five suspects in Brixton and Mayfair in Johannesburg in connection with the kidnapping of three teenagers of Ethiopian origin. The teenagers were allegedly kidnapped over the weekend when they were brought into South Africa. South Africa's Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, the Hawks, traced and arrested the five suspects who are also Ethiopian nationals. The suspects are expected to be charged with human trafficking, kidnapping and extortion. The teenagers have been taken to a place of safety as investigations continue. Hawk spokesperson Lloyd Ramuba. 
The three teenagers were allegedly smuggled into the country and kept in Gauteng. Their parents were then reportedly told to pay 50,000 rand per child for them to be released. The Hawks team traced and arrested the five suspects who are Ethiopian nationals. And finally, the United States Senate has confirmed President Donald Trump's nominee to be the next ambassador to South Africa, handbag entrepreneur, now ambassador-designate Lana Marx, who was born in East London in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, will now return to the country of her birth as the top U.S. diplomat to the country. Sherwin Bryce-Peace reports that Marx still has to take her oath of office before becoming ambassador at a date yet to be determined. The 65-year-old luxury handbag designer based out of Palm Beach, Florida, is now set to replace former Ambassador Patrick Gaspard almost three years after he vacated the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria. Marx, who has limited political or diplomatic experience, is better known for her exotic skin handbags and her friendship with the late Princess Diana. In an oral statement during her Senate confirmation hearing in July, she stated that she became an American citizen in 1994, the same year Nelson Mandela was elected president. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Zimbabwe is in transition and determined to overcome the reality that we were that were a collapsed economy with a collapsed currency due to illegal economic sanctions. That was the message delivered by the country's president, Emerson Nagagwa, in the ongoing debate in the United Nations General Assembly. He pointed to immense progress towards macroeconomic and fiscal stabilization in the country since he took over from his predecessor while articulating his country's re-engagement with the international community, shown by Peace reports. The Assembly will now hear an address from His Excellency Emerson Dambuzu Munamgawa. This was President Mnangagwa's second appearance here as head of state, but his first since the passing of his controversial predecessor, former President Robert Mugabe, who was well known in these halls for fiery speeches that would often see Western diplomats stage a walkout. Zimbabwe is in transition and determined to overcome the reality that we were a collapsed economy with a collapsed currency due to the illegal economic sanctions imposed on our country. Since I took over the leadership of Zimbabwe, much has been accomplished with indicative recovery, stabilization and growth, immense progress towards macroeconomic 
and fiscal stabilization, as well as high-impact projects that pave the way for private sector-led growth have been achieved. He told the Assembly that there was a recognition in his government that the people of Zimbabwe deserved better and that they were committed to delivering. According to Mnangagwa, embedded in those aspirations was a strong sense of urgency to eradicate poverty, achieve quality and relevant education, create employment for women and youth, while mitigating the cross-cutting impacts of climate change. And on re-engaging with the rest of the world, he said their arms remained outstretched with a heart of friendship and cooperation to all those willing to accompany Zimbabwe on what he referred to as an exciting journey of rebirth. My country applauds the Southern African Development Community, the African Union, and all who stand with us in demanding the immediate and unconditional removal of these illegal sanctions. Those that impose illegal sanctions must heed this call and lift them now. Cooperation is a win-win game. Sanctions are a lose-lose game. Zimbabwe deserves a restart. He said far-reaching reforms were being implemented by his government, including an anti-corruption drive and a deepening of the rule of law that recognizes the desire to open up the democratic space. The fiscal austerity and discipline has resulted in balanced books and a budget surplus, which is unprecedented in my country. The impact of change and reforms on the generality of our people take time, but we are in the right direction. We shall continue to put in place social safety nets to cushion the lower strata and the most vulnerable members of our society and appeal for further multilateral support in this regard. These achievements are in spite of the continued albatross of the illegal economic sanctions. In renewing sanctions for one year in May, U.S. President Donald Trump said the actions and policies of certain members of the government of Zimbabwe and other persons continue to pose an unusual and extraordinary threat to the foreign policy of the United States. The State Department in February issued a stinging rebuke of the actions of Zimbabwe's security forces against protesters, the use of violence against civil society, and restrictions on the internet. I'm Sherwin Bryce-Pease in New York. The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development has launched its 2019 Trade and Development Report, which recasts the Depression-era signature policy as a global Green New Deal to change the rules of the international economic game and make a clean break with years of austerity and insecurity. The report sets out a roadmap that can lead to growth rates of gross domestic product in developed economies of 1% to 1.5% above those generated by current patterns of global demand. For more on this, Lebuhang Mabange spoke to UNC Ungtad economist Diana Baraklau. 
we focus on, yeah, as I said, questions of economics and trade. We work very closely with member governments. We work usually with um, trade ministries and finance ministries and industrial ministries. And um, we, it is our job is to try and help developing countries integrate into the global economy in a, a better way, in a more equitable way. And in fact, this is why we were set up. UNCTAD was set up. Um, you know, by the group of 77 countries, the developing countries, in, in 1964, when they realised that they needed to have um, a better voice, you know, in global discussions about these things. So yesterday you presented the 2019 Trade and Development Report. Talk to us about it. What was in the report? That's correct. So um, we, would pre- we presented the report at um, the Reserve Bank in Pretoria. Um, the main messages of the report that I think are very important for South Africa um, really, there's, there's three things that, that I think we need to say. And the first thing is that, you know, the young people are right. The young people who have been protesting in, in South Africa and indeed around the world um, about climate change and the crisis that means, you know, they're right. This is, this, we need to wake up. Um, and so I think it's actually very exciting that they're drawing to our attention issues that, in, in fact, you know, the UN and, and other voices um, have been trying to get on people's radar screen. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is that actually this is a, a double crisis um, and it's related. So the environmental crisis, you know, the threat to our existence by carbon uh, economy is interlinked very, very closely with the economic structure. And, and that's the second crisis that we've got. And, and in fact, we, we're talking about a, what we call an age of anxiety about jobs, about economic livelihoods. You know, in in South Africa, I recognize this is very strong, but also in other countries around the world too. You know, people have a real sense of anxiety that, you know, life is not getting better. And they, they don't see, when they look at the past or the future for their kids, they don't see that the world is getting better for them. In fact, you know, things seem to be getting worse. So there's a great anxiety about this all over the world, but obviously extremely in, in South Africa. Um, you know, I, I see your um, GDP uh, expectations, which were released yesterday by the by the Reserve Bank. You know, they're, they're showing that this is pretty bad shape. You know, it's the worst economic condition since 1945. That's a long time ago. Um, and in fact, I'm sorry to say, but the forecast that, that UNCTAD came for South Africa is even worse. Um, the Reserve Bank's forecast is for the GDP growth this year to be something like 0.6%, you know, which is very low. That, that is too low to achieve any of the things that, that you need for development and, and reduction in inequality. And, um, and, and our forecast is worse. Ours is like 0.3%. And I think that's very, very concerning, you know, in the time of where you've got, um, you know, social unrest, poverty, inequality, you know, violence against women, all of these things, I think, are, are deeply related to this very precarious economic situation. Um, now, let's get to the, the third thing I wanted to say, <laughs> is that, you know, this is a pretty bleak picture that I'm painting. Um, but, you know, we do come here with some suggestions about what can be done about it. And I, I think that's important. That's, that's sort of the main message is that what we want to be able to say is, you know, rethink this policy mix. Um, these policies have been tried for a long time. They're not working. 
um, they're not working in other countries too. It's not just South Africa that is doing this, you know, the policy of thinking that all you need to be, well, the main thing to sort of to fo- focus on is the financial sector or, you know, obsessing about the financial sector, frankly, and, you know, worrying about um, keeping interest rates low and, and these issues that are taking away attention from the productive sector of the economy. And uh, so we, we, we come to the report, you know, comes to developing countries with some suggestions for um, really a, a pretty big rethink of the policy mix. And I have to say, we, we're quite encouraged by the fact that, you know, there's a lot of support for this view now building globally. Um, you might have seen uh, certainly in the US and in um, Europe strong pushes for what they're calling a global green new deal. Now, this is bringing together the economic issues of a new deal with the green issues, you know, of the environmental crisis that faces us. Um, and we use this term new deal, you know, it's got a, it's got a real meaning. We, we don't just mean that it's new. What we're doing is that we are harking back to uh, President Roosevelt and the new deal of the 1930s, where President Roosevelt completely rethought the way the economy was going. You know, the crisis then had been caused by excessive power of financial sector. And so one of the first things Roosevelt had to do was to, you know, regulate finance and get finance back in the position of being supporting of, of the economy, not driving it. That's Diana Baraklal, an economist with the UN Conference on Trade and Development on the line, speaking to Lebuhang Mabange. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The Malawi government supporters on Wednesday clashed violently with opposition groups protesting the results of presidential elections in May. The skirmish erupted in the commercial capital, Blantyre, where hundreds of people were marching to demand the resignation of Malawi's Electoral Commission chairperson. George Mango reports from Blantyre. The HRDC members had barely waved on the march from Blantyre's Kamuzo Stadium upper ground through Masago Chipembele Highway when they were well-led meters away outside the Chichiri Trade Fair ground where this year's National Agriculture Fair is taking place. The protesters and Democratic Progressive Party DPP youths pelted each other with stones in full view of Malawi Police Service officers, rendering the dual carriageway impossible to traffic. The DPP youth emerged from the trade fair grounds where Minister of Agriculture, Irrigation and Water Development, Konwai Nankuma, who is also Vice President for the South, was presiding over the opening of the National Agriculture Fair. 
Police who were following the protesters later engaged in running battles with the protesters. Police fired tear gas at Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital premises, causing panic among patients and guardians alike. Lead member of the HRDC, McDonald Sembreka, said they will not stop organizing such demonstrations. Let's not give up. We are all Malawians. We believe that Malawi is bigger than DPP. And uh, at the same time, we will not relent. We are saying that let's reclaim uh, our destiny as Malawians. Uh, we are not going to give in. Uh, whatever pressure and whatever uh, force they use, they use, we will not relent. So that's the message. We are going to get out to Malawians and inform them the best way forward. Ironically, after the nearly three-hour standoff between DPP supporters who held their ground and the protesters, the DPP group marched into Blanta Central Business District and hindered a bait under police escort. The action by the police of not protecting protesters has since not gone down well with the main opposition Malawi Congress Party MCP. The party has since said it will not confirm the appointment of the acting inspector general of police. Moses Konkuyu of the Malawi Congress Party, MCB, who was among the protesters, had this to say. As per what happened yesterday, the police was ruthless on innocent people. Their leader was again in the same boat because it was his boys that were doing this. Is this the kind of a person that we should confirm to head a police institution? Police service led by Mr. Mapas did not perform their duty of protecting Malawians. Malawi Congress Party will never support the appointment of anyone who has a gross misconduct on his record or anyone who has not performed in line with the provisions of the Constitution. So what happened yesterday is clear that the police did not protect the citizens and their leader in that case did also not protect the citizens and as Malawi Congress Party will always advocate for such people not to have a confirmation because those people are not working for the in the interest of Malawians. Sembreka who sought refuge at the Malawi Defense Force MDF camp in the course of the chaos accused the police of retreating when the demonstrators were under attack. During the protest, a pregnant woman was seen carried into the hospital by some wishes after she fainted apparently from being choked by the tear gas smoke. We were on guard. We stuck to our, uh, our commitment that will ensure that we, we exercise peace, we demonstrate peacefully and unarmed until we were attacked or ambushed by uh, DVP cadets who blocked our way. Uh, and at the same time, the police never took an action. So here we are. We are committed to a just cause. And some people uh, who, are, who, who think they are more Malawians uh, provoked us. So here we are as, as a country, we, we are saying where are we heading in as far as uh, what happened today. Police confirmed that five people were injured during the fracas, but said the police were yet to make any arrests regarding the violence. Sembereka said the petition they intended to deliver is addressed to the Electoral Commission's forum and SADC Member States Executive Committee Chairperson Notemba Chipoja to hold MEC accountable for presiding over an alleged fraudulent electoral process in the May 21 tripartite elections. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Twelve people have reportedly been killed in fresh attacks by subjected suspected jihadists in northern Mozambique ahead of elections next month. The attacks happened in the village of Mbau and many homes in the area were burned down along with the offices of the ruling Frelimo party. To find out more on this, Kumbela Mujalele spoke to our Mozambican correspondent, Bright Sonjera. 
this is what is happening in the Cabo de Gado, uh, the northern part of the country. Since this started in 2014-15 up to now, there is no any pronouncement that we hear from them. Nobody knows about that. But the President News said that there is other people from the country who are supporting them to go against the government institutions and killing uh, lots of people around there. And uh, President News said uh, yesterday that um, uh, he's going to deploy a lot of uh, soldiers so that they can protect as we know that uh, Mozambique is going to hold a general election on October 15 this year. So people, they are just going here and there like nomadic people going around being fearing of the attacks that is occurred each and every day. Has this anyone claimed their responsibility for these attacks, Bright? Of course, the government uh, said that uh, the people are just attack- attacking each other because um, uh, what they, they want exactly to do, this part of um, jihadists, they don't know what they are doing, but um, the attacks is just every day now. So are you saying these are inter-ethnic clashes that uh, have been happening? Of course, it's not just a new story. Here in Mozambique, each and every day they are just attacking. But this attack of killing 12 people is the first attack. But uh, they have been attacking and uh, putting in fire uh, many houses uh, from various districts. So lots of people, like uh, the businessmen, they have just evacuated from the places where this attack occurred. So the government is still uh, protecting people around there uh, through the soldiers, but uh, they are failing to do that because they are, sub- uh, they are civilians. So uh, they do, there's no any, any identification that this is their uh, duty. So, so this is the problem that is happening. They are doing these attacks while uh, living at the same places. What is the main reason of this attacks, Bright? Why are people attacking each other in the region? Some other people, they, they have invested Gated that the place where, when the government announced uh, that there is uh, uh, petroleum, uh, the, there is uh, uh, gas and um, precious stones, uh, from that time the attacks occurs. Uh, the places where these attacks uh, happen each and every day is the places where there is uh, fuel, petrol, and um, and uh, gas and the precious stones are there. So these attacks uh, started when the government discovered that there is a uranium and other uh, precious stones uh, around the Cabo Delgado. It's when this started. Is there any link between these attacks and also threats made by a splinter group of Renamo fighters who have defied the party leadership and vowed to step up its violence unless campaigning for the upcoming Polls is suspended. There's no any link with this attack from Capital uh, Legado, but what is happening is that as they, they have killed these 12 people, and uh, the central region where these um, NAM uh, people were refused uh, to hand up the guns, uh, they said that uh, they are still also uh, making attacks, but the attacks are very few attacking civilians and the, the cars, but this is not the frequency uh, frequently like in Cabo Delgado. But there's no any connections about these jihads and uh, Renam soldiers who are uh, sure. not handing up uh, their guns to the government soldiers.
That was our Mozambican correspondent, Bright Sonjera, on the line, speaking to Kumbela Mujelele. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultanjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Hi, Nelson Holisasa Mandela. Do hereby sir. To be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. He was not a ruler, like just telling people what to do. He didn't rule us, he led us. His role as president in the process of nation building was exemplary and wonderful. You could disagree with him, he would disagree with you, you could even be quite testy with each other, and yet it wouldn't affect the overall relationship of your own cooperation or friendship. Nelson Mandela a giant of two centuries. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, Zimbabwe's former president Robert Mugabe will be laid to rest at his home village in Kutuma's Vimba on Sunday. The brother of Botswana's former president Ian Khama has resigned from the Botswana Democratic Party and police in South Africa have arrested five suspects in Brixton and Mayfair in Johannesburg in connection with the kidnapping of three teenagers of Ethiopian origin. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Women organizations in the DRC have called on the government and the international community to protect women in the country. The call comes after the United Nations said there were more than 900 cases of conflict-related sexual violence in the year leading up to May. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. The East of the Democratic Republic of Congo has been experiencing different kinds of conflicts since decades and indeed sexual violence have always been used as a strategy to terrorize inhabitants. It's indeed in that part of this country where dozens of armed groups are operating since a very long time. Among them are both local including the Mai Mai and foreign armed groups such as the Ugandan Allied Democratic Forces well known as ADF and the Democratic Forces for Liberation of Rwanda FDLR. The Democratic Republic of Congo's National Army, backed by the UN forces, have been fighting the armed groups for long, but the results are not really good since the eastern populations are still suffering and indeed several cases of sexual violence, including women rapes, are reported on daily basis in that part of this country. 
More than 900 cases in the year leading up to May. Most of the attacks were carried out on the eastern DRC by members of the armed forces and the Congolese National Police. The United Nations have reported this is still too much according to women organizations here. Some of the organizations have then called on the government and the international community to try their best for this country's women's safety. Benny Kimpiobi is the Women Empowerment Coordinator. The figure is still very heavy. I think that uh, there is something that ought to be done, actually, you know, and um, see exactly what, what's happening because we're not hearing things like uh, facts as uh, we used to hear before. So what is it that is going on in the present time that explains such a heavy figure, you know, because 900 is a lot. It's a lot. One life already is important. So can you imagine 900? Although it is less than before, but it's still too many. President Felix Tshisekedi has decided to relocate the National Army's headquarters in Beni in the North Kivu province to make sure all these kinds of human rights abuse are eradicated as he promised when campaigning some months ago. It's indeed in that Beni territory where inhabitants are victims of regular attacks that are always attributed to Ugandan rebels of allied democratic forces, the ADF. Several killings and uh, sexual violence are always reported on daily basis. And according to this Women Empowerment Coordinator, Benny Kimpiobi, President Felix Tshisekedi's decision to relocate the National Army's headquarters will help for women and other inhabitants to be at least safe. I really applaud the decision of the head of state to get all the uh, militaries and the headquarters of our, the, uh, our army to now be uh, to go and settle in that part of the country, in Delhi, because I believe that this is the only way that they will grab that problem and they will really tackle the, the, the problem in uh, every way, every sense, and, uh, you know, to come to the result. I think it, um, psychologically it will have an effect, I believe, psychologically and then on the field. You know, the problem is even harder and uh, even stronger the years before and even the months before. As I told you, we, we used to uh, hear talk about thousands of women being raped, thousands of girls being violated. Now we're talking of 900-something, and I think that situation will be solved. The Democratic Republic of Congo has been previously referred to as the world capital city of sexual violence and rape during the regime of former President Joseph Kabila. The UN reports attribute the high percentage of human rights abuse to the state agents, but the current regime has promised to sort this out and bring a sustainable solution for all Congolese to remain safe. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. South Africa's ruling ANC Women's League has appealed to South Africans to do more to celebrate the late Winima Digizela Mandela. The league celebrated what would have been her 83rd birthday at a school named after the late struggle icon at Shawela in Soweto yesterday. Former personal assistant to Matigizela Mandela Zoto Zwane says the ANC Star Wars deserves a much more befitting honor for her role in the struggle. Abongile Dumako has this report. 
The NC Women's League paid a visit to the Winnie-Matigizela Mandela Primary School in Chiawelo, Soweto, and donated sanitary pads to mark the occasion. But for Zodwa Zwane, a former personal assistant to Mama Winnie, this is not sufficient to acknowledge Matigizela Mandela's contribution to the liberation of the country. It's not. She's done a lot and she deserves, honestly, to be celebrated, you know, in a, in a better way than this. But I'm glad, honestly, that the ANC Women's League never stops. They always celebrate her. I, I think it, it, it also answers and we understand what they meant by she has not died, she's, she's, she'll multiply. And um, what they are doing here at school shows that she definitely multiplies. ANC Women's League President Matabi Lezamini has called on all ANC members to unite in honor of Matigizela Mandela. She says it's taboo in the ANC culture that months after the National Elective Conference, there are still factional battles within the movement. She said this must come to an end so that the current ANC leadership can focus on further building the organization. It's when you go to the conference, you support a particular candidate. But when you come back from the conference, you subject yourself to the elected leadership. And that elected leadership must embrace everyone. So we've never had a situation where continuously there is venom that is attacking one and the same uh, people. It is uncalled for and we are calling upon all members of the ANC to unite. And Stembi Lemkize, the principal of the Winimatigizela Mandela Primary School, says she's grateful for what the ANC Women's League has done for the school. From the time Mama Wini agreed that the school should be named uh, after her, I think we call it a blessing. Um, we work with children with special needs, and most of the time we still feel and we know we are excluded. The ANC Women's League has also urged South Africans to walk in the footsteps of the late Matigizela Mandela, Aimabongile Tumago, in Soweto. For the first time in the brief history of a state capture commission in South Africa, a witness will give evidence in camera. Commission Chair Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo has granted an order permitting former crime intelligence official Colonel Danajaya Naidu to testify from a secret location via audio link. Naidu is currently in witness protection following an affidavit he wrote exposing corruption and looting in the police crime intelligence unit during Richard Mlouli's tenure. Nomalizo Mandela reports. Prior to the ruling, advocate Rob Peterson from the commission's legal team argued that practical difficulties need to be addressed, and these are witness protection versus constitution and implicated persons' rights. So I would therefore persist in order to achieve the appropriate balance between witness protection and the protection which not only does the policy of the Constitution, but I have no doubt the policy of the Commission is determined to ensure that implicated persons have a fair opportunity to challenge 
evidence which is adverse to them. Last week, the Commission heard from Hawks Senior Investigator Gorbis Rolofser, who testified that his investigation of former intelligence head Richard Mluli, which was based on information from Naidu, was frustrated by senior officials from the SAPS and the NPA. It is understood that 45 people will be implicated in Naidu's evidence. One of those is Police Minister Begitzele, who was Police Commissioner at the time. His lawyer advocate Griffiths Madonzele told the commission that they did not object to the order. However, they also have two issues they request included in the order. That it should accommodate or permit the implicated persons as well as the legal representatives to see him because they have already done so in the past. And secondly, that whatever the the embargo or the the in-camera order should contain, it should sanction as well that any response given by the implicated persons to the allegations made against them should similarly be embargoed to the extent that it may blow cover to those individuals who are referred to in the statements of Colonel Knight. Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo then granted the order, adding that no visuals of Naidu will be broadcast. He will give his evidence from the protected witness location 1.4. No camera will be permitted in the protected witness location, 1.5, an audio link from the protected witness location will be provided so that his evidence can be heard in the hearing room when he gives, when he gives it. Colonel Naldi will be testifying at the commission in camera on Friday. That report by Numalizo Mandela. South Africa's Water and Sanitation Minister Lindua Sisulu says her department has set aside 30.5 million U.S. dollars to assist drought-stricken municipalities in the country. Sisulu was speaking on the sidelines of the Winnematigizela Mandela Memorial Lecture at Lindsay Junior Secondary School at Ngamagwe in the Eastern Cape Province. The province is one of those set to benefit from the drought relief fund, as Makaya Komisa reports. A number of municipalities in the Eastern Cape, including Raymond Mklaba and Inokim Kijima, are hard hit by severe drought. The government is working hard to provide alternative ways of ensuring water is available to communities. Water and Sanitation Minister Lindy Wesisulu says a number of municipalities are battling to provide water to citizens due to lower water levels. Government through Treasury has allocated for every municipality in the Eastern Cape sufficient resources for us to be able to obviate the problem that we have and get over it. But unfortunately, we have not been able to use that money. That money returned to Treasury and we've had to ask Treasury to give it back to us because uh, we have to give our people the right to water. They have given us, they have signed off and the money will be coming back. But what we're going to be doing now is to find a way of centrally managing that money so that we don't have it taken back again. So we've got to give our municipalities the necessary support and uh, necessary technology to be and dams which supply water to the residents of Nguma municipality are almost dry. Mayor Sitembi Songetezo says some businesses are closing down due to drought. As we are trying to uh, boost and try to mobilize more uh, developers to come and invest in our area due to this crisis of don't we don't have water. Uh, we are affected on that because we have already lost 
one of the companies in our area, the breweries, uh, that, that have been employing uh, our community members. The department has also allocated 126 million rand for phase one of Umzim Vubu Dam project. The government has classified the Umzim Vubu water project as a strategic integrated project to facilitate the allocation of sufficient resources. The money will be for road construction leading to the dam. I am Makaya Komisa in Butterworth. Hi, Nelson Holisasa Mandela. Do hereby sir to be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. He was not a ruler, like just telling people what to do. He didn't rule us, he led us. His role as president in the process of nation building was exemplary and wonderful. You could disagree with him, he would disagree with you, you could even be quite testy with each other, and yet it wouldn't affect the overall relationship of your own cooperation or friendship. Nelson Mandela, a giant of two centuries. Our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhoko. Good morning. South African Trade Federation, KUSATU, and its affiliate, the South African Society of Banking Officials, have encouraged workers in the banking sector to report for work this morning. This follows a Thursday's decision by the Labour Court to interdict the banking strike that was planned for this morning. KUSATU's Deputy Secretary General, Soli Petre, says that they are now seeking leave to appeal the ruling. Petur says that the union will also resubmit a Section 77 notice to the National Economic Development Labour Council. It's not always suspended. We are not going to demobilize our members. We are going to continue to mobilize our members against the exploitation, against the continuation of retrenchment, both in the banks sector, but also in the manufacturing, in the mining, in the farming area, agricultural area. What is going to happen now, as I said, we, we ask our legal team to get the reasons, read, go through the reasons, but immediately they must do the appeal. We will be submitting the appeal today before the close of business. But two things that we are going to do. We are going to do the appeal, but we are going to resubmit. Concerns over the digitization of the banking sector and resulting job losses have been raised at the South African UNESCO Engineering Conference held in the Northwest province. Academics attending the conference say more has to be done to reskill and upskill workers so that they can adapt to the fourth industrial revolution. Northwest Premier Job Mohoro says the strategies are needed to prevent job losses. Look, we are very, we are very sympathetic uh, to the issue of possibility of job losses. Uh, in this particular instance, the question of uh, uh, the, the banking industry, uh, and we are all crossing our fingers. Every development, every positive move, would likely to have is likely to have unintended consequences and, and the point is you must have a risk mitigation strategy against any possible unintended consequences meanwhile the department of science and innovation is investigating how many jobs are likely to be lost 
It's Director General Phil Muzwach. We are working with the Human Sciences Research Council to see how the study could be done for the South African economy and for the South African industry. National Financier Standard Chattered shows us that Kenya has been ranked third out of the six economies showing best potential in future trade growth. The study considered improvements to physical and digital infrastructure, e-commerce and ease of doing business. Côte d'Ivoire comes on top, followed by India on the list of the top 20 economies, which is dominated by countries in Africa and Asia. The U.S. dollar is trading at 359.90 Nigerian Nara, 10.89 Botswana Pula, 102.46 a Kenyan shilling, and 13.18 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.15 Brazilian roll, 64.20 Russian ruble, 70.72 Indian rupee, 7.12 Chinese yuan, and 15 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 80 pence to the British pound, 91 cents to the euro. Gold, $1,506. Platinum, $931 per ounce. Brand crude, $62. 17 cents a barrel. From an African perspective, this remains your favorite channel. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with football news. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns will be looking to score more goals. When they tackle Seychelles team Codindor in the CAF Champions League first round, second leg clash in Atridgeville in Pretoria tonight. Sundowns convincingly won 5 0 in the first leg away with the second string team. Defender Sumahoro Bangali played in Seychelles and is confident they will score more goals. You know, it's not because we won 5 0 this thing, I will think like everything is good. Yes, you win, it's the good thing, you have the result, but you have to correct some of things also. So we are ready and you have to another to the big game and beat them again. If you can score six, seven, it's always good for us. So you are preparing well for that game. You know in football you have to respect everything. Even you beat them. They are playing Champions League. So it means it's good thing. Yeah, five days is that game is already beyond us. You're looking for the new game. So you have to win and you're playing home. So I think you have to win that game. And it's good for us if you win maybe again another six, seven, and you score too many goals. The other team also, they are watching us in Champions League. Maybe they can skate and it's good for us. Already they are scared of us. And it's good if you kill the game, you have the chance. You have to kill the game and so the other team also can skate for us to say, ah, maybe this one, if we play them home, they can kill us, they can give too much, so it's good for us. Like. Two votes from Hamed Salah in the Best FIFA Men's Player Award were not counted because signatures were in capital letters. The Egyptian Football Association said Acting Egypt 
coach Shoki Harib and captain Ahmed El Mohamadi voted for Liverpool forward Salah. The signatures on the voting forms were in capital letters and thus seemed not valid, according to FIFA. The forms also lacked a mandatory signature by the EFA, that's Egypt Football Association General Secretary. Barcelona's Lionel Messi won the award on Monday ahead of Juventus forward Cristiano Ronaldo and Liverpool defender Virgil van Dijk. The boss of New Zealand's All Blacks, Steve Hansen, was made chief of police of the Japanese city of Beppu on Thursday in a sign of respect for him and his team. The team relocated its base on Tuesday from Tokyo to Beppu, a city situated on the southern Japanese island of Kyushu, known for its onsens, natural hot baths surrounded by nature. During a brief ceremony, Hansen was decorated by Beppu's chief of police, Yufimi Sato, with a scarf and a police cap. Hansen, who is no stranger to the police force, as he had served for six years in the New Zealand police, said he found similarities between his former vocation to his current job as head coach. Very humbling uh, to be uh, recognised as the chief of police of Beppu for the day. Um, don't have a clue. Uh, how I'm going to run the city. I won't be able to do it as well as my colleague, the real chief. I guess the, the big similarity is you, you're doing things under pressure. Uh, you're doing things as a team. Um, you know, you can't be an individual in the police force. You can't be an individual in a, in a, in a game of rugby or a team sport. So. In athletics, sprinter Diana Asher-Smith will lead a trio of women with high hopes at the World Athletics Championships in Doha of heralding a new golden era for British track and field. Asher-Smith, who will compete in the individual 100 meters and 200 meters as well as the 4 by 100 meter relay, along with Laura Mayer in the 1,500 meter and heptathlete Katharina Johnson-Thompson carry more than just pressure to win medals. British athletics chiefs hope the talented trio can give a boost to the sport whose public profile has waned. With the retirements of 2012 Olympic gold medalists Ennis Hill and Greg Rutherford, while Farah is focusing on the marathon and will not compete at these championships. And Sky Brown, the 11-year-old skateboarding prodigy who is poised to become Britain's youngest ever Olympian at the 2020 Tokyo Games, has already amassed an inenviable resume. Pro skateboarder, surfing phenomenon, junior champion of the U.S. television program Dancing with the Stars, and determined philanthropist, the charismatic Brown is transforming our understanding of what the next generation is capable of. Brown, who was born in Japan to a British father and Japanese mother, took a big step towards making Team GB's Olympic squad with a third-place finish at the World Championships in Brazil earlier this month. Yes, so I think girls can do anything that boys can do, or maybe even better. Yeah, and like, because I feel like sometimes girls are scared to do what boys are doing because they're like, it's a boys sport, like I can do that, but actually you can do anything that boys can do. We weren't going to do the Olympics because my parents thought it was too much pressure, but then Team GB, Lucy Allen, she's like the boss of like this like skateboarding association, she said that there's no pressure, just get out there and have fun, and that's the way I skate. Like, I don't really think it's like a training thing, like, I think it's like more of my happy place. Like, it's like a playground for me. We, like, that's why I want to be in the Olympics, to inspire girls and tell, like, hopefully when they see me, this little girl doing this crazy trick, hopefully when they see me, they'll be like, maybe I can do that too.
That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's president calls on the US and Europe to lift sanctions and Malawi security forces clash with protesters in Blantyre. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzora Magaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Dumelo Mugwena and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Ricky Rick featuring Casper Nilvest with the song title Stay Shining.